At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Built for More, Church Beyond the Weekend, where we will see what the Psalms teaches us about how life is enriched when we live and serve in community with our church family. Well, good morning, Woodside Detroit. My name is Rick Seidel. I'm a campus pastor. Well, I was a campus pastor. I'm a pastor of campus development now. But just a little bit more about me. Back in 2009, I was living in Lake Oring with my wife, Lana, who grew up there. And uh, we were living there, and I got my shoulder tapped by Doug Schmidt and said, hey, we want to start a campus in Lake Oring. Would you be willing to do that? So thus began a, a long journey that we couldn't have imagined or anticipated, but it was what a great thrill it has been to be a part of Woodside and particularly that campus and seeing what God has done there. A couple years ago, um, uh, I stepped out of that role into this campus development pastor role, which is really working with all 14 campuses. I've met with Tim. We've talked about ideas. He's, he's no short of ideas, right? He's a dreamer. He's a visionary. And so it's been that, but it's also been looking for potential new locations. Uh, we had conversations that are going on right now, but as you can imagine, with a lot of things you know, the, just the transition from, from Pastor Schmidt uh, to Pastor uh, Chris Brooks. This has been a season of just hearing from God what he has next for us. So pray for us. Pray for me, if you don't mind, as I uh, engage in these conversations and ask God what he has for us. Um, but it's good to be with you. I've had the opportunity uh, to, to be an interim pastor at a couple campuses since that time. I was at uh, Lapeer for, for a short season, and then after that, Pontiac. And then I spent almost a year in Farmington Hills. And so I got to see a little bit of the different flavor of the different campuses of Woodside. And it's been, it's been really enriching, to tell you the truth. A little harder on my family, right, because I'm kind of all over the place. But um, my wife, Lana, is here with, us, with me today. And, um, of course, our, our kids aren't, but uh, they'll be back home uh, going to another campus there. But, but yeah, so I'm here today. We're, we're continuing our series, Built for More. And uh, the title of the, uh, the sermon today is Imagined Disaster. It's kind of an interesting title, isn't it? You know, the text today speaks to our fears, and it does so in a very interesting way. It really talks about our capacity to imagine the very worst, right? I'm a creative type. Um, in fact, when we were living in Quebec, Canada as church planters, one of our uh, teammates' son, he used to call me... Uh, the big fat idea guy. That was my uh, title to him because I was coming up with creative ideas. Um, but you know, sometimes that can be uh, on the positive side, but also some, some, sometimes if you've got a vivid imagination, you can imagine the worst, right? And kids aren't that way. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a grandpa. I've got an 18-month-old boy named, yeah, not boy, but grandson <laughs> named uh, Hudson. And Hudson, you know, he just lives life with reckless abandon. He doesn't really think about things. And so like he's like running like headlong, his, his whole weight's in front of his feet. He's going to surely run right into a corner. You know, we have to stop him and tell him to slow down. You know, he's got, we have a dog that's old and grumpy and likes to bite. And he doesn't know yet that if he tugs on his ears really hard, he's inviting something that's going to happen that he's not going to like. I know that. I've lived long enough. I've been bitten by a dog. He hasn't imagined that yet. Sometimes these kinds of uh, impulses that we have by lived experience are a good thing, right? They protect us from harm. We, we're able to go, oh, you know what? If this happens, then that might happen, then that might happen. Right? There's a lot of wisdom there. I was reminded of this just the other morning. I was taking my son, Tommy, uh, to school. His school is actually back in session. It's a private school up in, uh, up in Oakland County called o uh, Oakland Christian School. We were on our way to school. Not a very short drive, but we were on I-75 for just a couple of exits, 
And so as we got on I-75, I'm in the right-hand lane, and in front of me is a big flatbed construction truck. And in the, on the flatbed, there's just maybe a couple dozen of these, um, I'm sure you've seen them, those orange barrels. Anybody seen a few of those around? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I no longer like the color orange, okay? Forget it, I don't want anything orange. Sorry for those of you that are wearing orange today, nothing personal. <laughs> but um, these orange barrels are all like piled up inside of this, uh, the back of this truck. And there's, I noticed as he came over the crest of the hill going about 70, 75 miles an hour, they began to levitate a little bit, right? They're like, you can tell they're kind of floating around up there. And I'm like, that's interesting. I've lived long enough to know that there's some dynamics going on there. And I noticed off to the side, his strap was like just flapping in the wind, right? Had, the strap obviously had come loose. So my son's oblivious to it. He hasn't lived long enough to really care about that, but I can see what could happen. I'm playing this out of my mind, you know, okay, the next thing that's going to happen, this is going to come off the truck and come right at me and I'm going to have to swerve, and hit this truck, and it's going to be just mad chaos. So I pull up next to him and I'm just trying to get his attention. And as I do, he exits the highway. So I'm like, okay, he must know what's going on. He's off the highway. A couple minutes later, I drop my son off. I'm on my way back, passing the same exit, going northbound now. And as I'm going northbound, I hear a bunch of commotion across the highway. And I look just in time to see this truck had made its way back onto the highway, apparently not knowing that it was unstrapped. And sure enough, exactly what I anticipated happened. I watched it in real life. These things lifted up and all these cars were swerving and screeching their tires. And I'm like, that's kind of weird, isn't it? But sometimes that's what God has given us, these, this ability to protect ourselves, to foresee the future based on past experience. And that's not a bad thing. But oftentimes, that creative imagination can lead us to a dark place can lead us to a place of that gripping fear, the anxieties, the concerns, the, the, the overwhelming sense of impending doom. Psychologists have a name for this called catastrophizing. Anybody else here a creative catastrophizer? Am I the only one? Okay, a few of us here. Great. We'll have a little meeting afterwards, a little, <laughs> a little group. Um, but yeah, we have this ability to do that. And catastrophizing is an irrational thought where we imagine that things are going to turn out the worst possible way. We imagine catas catastrophes coming. Perhaps that's you. Perhaps that's very much something you can relate to. You know, me personally, I would say next, last December was an interesting, began an interesting period for me. Um, I've had a lot of anxiety around me and my family and friends, but I've usually kind of skated through. I'm Mr. Hopeful. I'm Mr. Positive. Last December, for whatever reason, I began to have this sense of doom and despair. And I remember being down here at Campus Martius with all the skating with my extended family. We're here having a great time. I'm downtown and I literally had to get outside of a store. I was having this panic attack. I, just, I couldn't even put words to it, and I still really can't. But I remember, like, man, what is going on? But I just had this sense of doom and despair. And yet, you know, even as much as I was feeling that, I couldn't have actually imagined what 2020 would turn out to be. It actually outdid my creative abilities. <laughs> we really are living in some crazy times, aren't we? We use the word unprecedented. I don't even know if that captures it. It's even as I stand here, look, look around the room, just, you know, the inability to communicate fully with you, right? It's weird. It's difficult. 
For many of you, this may be your first day back to church, and this is a huge step for you. For some of you, you're, you're dealing with the people in your life that have been sick. For others of you, uh, what we've gone through in the last few months with this just a thirst for justice, and yet there seems to be none, and there's all this chaos and confusion and anger that's boiling over and pouring into the streets, and we look around us and we say, what is going on in the world? And we, we can be gripped, right, with this overwhelming sense that the future is one of doom and despair. And I just want to just encourage you today that God knows that. My son Tommy, he's 13 years old, and he's a great kid, but he struggles sometimes with some anxieties. And in the evening, often, when he's laying down to bed, I'll come into his room, tuck him in, pray with him, and the last thing he'll say to me, he'll ask me, he said, Dad, am I going to be okay? I say, sure, Tommy, you're going to be okay. He wants to hear his dad say, you're going to be okay. Christians, don't we want that from our father? It's going to be okay. I'm here with you. Psalm 124 is where we are today, and that's really what the psalm is all about. It's our heavenly father saying, son, daughter, it's going to be okay. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. We're in our series, Made for More, where we're highlighting the fact that we are a community of faith. We are made for more. And this is more than just Sundays. This is beautiful. This is great. This is important. And yet, our Christian experience needs to be bigger than this, doesn't it? We need to have that face-to-face, -face, that one-on-one, -on -one, that side-by-side -side building of one another, the, the bearing one another burdens, all these kinds of things that go on. The iron sharpening iron. And oftentimes, in our busy, hectic lives, we lose that. We lose that. And so what we find right now is that we're living in a period where we're able to set the reset button again. We're resetting those priorities and those values in our own lives. And we're clinging to those things that are most important. And we're having to say goodbye to some of those things that are on the periphery and maybe should be on the periphery in our lives. And it's no less true than in the church. This is a great opportunity for church leaders to step back and say, what is the essence of what it means to be a Christian in a Christian community? And if we're going to be anything to be a Christian community, we have to be a community. So one of the ways we do this is through life groups. Life groups is an opportunity for people to sit in the same room or, or serve alongside each other. And so you'll be hearing more about that in the coming weeks. Okay, there'll be opportunities. I'm not going to talk a lot about it today, but Pat McElrath, Kevin, they can answer some of your questions afterwards if you want to know how you can get plugged into this. But the whole point is that we need to live in community. And as we do so, what are some things we need to do together? And here in Psalm 124, here we learn that we, we, can, we need to remind each other this, that with God on our side, we have nothing to fear. Let's look at three things we should do together in community. And one of those is ponder together the favor of God. Ponder together the favor of God. Let's begin in verse 1, and I'll just read the first five verses. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when the people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. 
Psalm 124 is called a song, a psalm or a song of ascent. The word ascent means to go up, right? This was this collection of 15 psalms are mostly pretty short because they learned them by memory. They're like songs and choruses that they would sing together. And the, and the occasion that they would sing these was as they would go up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And this feast was designed to give the nation of Israel pause, to hit the reset button or the time out, and to get away from their daily rituals and their daily activities and together gather in Jerusalem to remember one thing, and that is back in the past, in their history, when they were in the desert wandering for those 40 years, God was always present in the tabernacle, this tent that they would set up and then they would tear down. It was a reminder that God has always been with them, even in the scorching heat, a scorpion-filled desert like the Sinai Desert. And so they sang these songs as they would gather together to come up to Jerusalem to remind each other, to remind themselves to ponder together the favor of God, to remember that he's been for them, he was with them, That should mean something. The way that the psalmist does this is interesting. Remember we talked about this creative capacity we have to imagine doom in the future? The psalmist takes that same capacity and kind of turns it on its ear and says, let's look back and imagine for just a moment that in our past, if God did not exist, if God was not with us, what would have happened? And what he imagines in that case was utter destruction. Whether it be the Philistine army overwhelming them like a river, whether it be the the, the Red Sea literally enveloping them as they walk through on dry ground, watching those massive waves on either side, these walls of water. He said, had God not been there, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, They would have been swallowed up alive. The flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. It's pretty powerful imagery. I don't know if you've ever been caught in a flood, a flash flood. I know we've all seen this on TV and how devastating this can be. Recently, there was one up in central Michigan that just, I mean, it's amazing when you see the devastation. In 1996, there was such a flood in a little town called Chicoutimi or Saguenay in, in Quebec. And what took place it was a, torrential, a series of events, torrential downpours in the spring, coupled with a, a severe melt-off of snow, overwhelmed the dam and created this just torrent of water that just cut a path of destruction on its way down to the St. Lawrence Seaway. And it went right through the town, completely obliterating the center of town, except for one building. This building is known as, in French, La Petite Maison Blanche, the little white house. And it's still there today as a museum that you can go through. But for four days, this little house stood its ground while everything else around it was just swept away to destruction. And people, onlookers, stood with amazement, just bewildered by how in the world can this little little box of a house, a simply constructed house, withstand such a torrential force. 
Does anybody feel like that today? You know, I think about just this, that imagery and just right now, I don't know about you, but this period that we're living with and Micah spoke to a little bit ago, it's different, it's weird, but it's, it's causing within us this desire to just give me the simple stuff. Give me the basics. Let me have my family. Let me have a hug. Let me have community. Let me have some sort of confidence in, in our political system, in our justice system. Just give me some sort of confidence that when I listen to a doctor, that I know they're telling me the truth, right? These simple things that we're, that we're clinging to and clinging onto and just desperately wanting. And yet, the storm rages, the waters are beating against the door, and it feels like it's going to give it any moment. The Israelites could relate to such feelings. They faced different events and different fears and anxieties, but they were no less real. And so they, like us, collectively have to come together in these moments of great anxiety and fear and senses of doom and remind ourselves and ponder over the fact that God has been with us. He is for us. He has shown us his favor over and over and over again. We must know it. We must repeat it. And we must encourage each other with it. The Lord is on our side. It's interesting. There's different ways that we can look and remember our past. Sometimes we can remember our past with a very negative spin. There's a doctor named John Gottman who meets with a lot of couples. He's written a book, The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. And in this book, he, he noted something really interesting. He noted that when a, when a marriage is in trouble... When, when it's really on the rocks, as we would say, or, or there's, they're at an impasse and there's no going forward, he says what oftentimes, if not all the time, is the case is that as each partner in that couple looks back at their past, everything is seen through this negative lens. They don't remember the fun stuff. They don't remember the good days. All they can remember were the difficult days, the day that uh, uh, the, the, the business failed, or the day that, the, that the, one of the spouses cheated on the other, or, or the day that perhaps something just didn't go right, and the, some mean word was said, or maybe there was something that was not said, something wasn't celebrated, something wasn't given, a, a need wasn't met, and all these things, they begin to pile on each other, and the p couple can't move forward because they're so consumed with the negativity of the past. But he said other times, a couple can have gone through just as many, sometimes even worse of scenarios and situations in their past, but when they look back, they rewrite, they rewrite the history, particularly Christians, that God was at work in the midst of the difficulty. He was there when they buried their child. He was there when the business failed, when the foreclosure note came. He was there in the midst of the adultery, bringing forgiveness and bringing healing and bringing mercy and grace it's so important. This is not just something that's out there. It's in here, and it impacts the way that we move forward in our marriages, in our relationships, in our world. We must ponder the favor of God. Secondly, we find ourselves that when we ponder the favor of God, we result in praising God for his protection. 
We, we go down memory lane and we imagine the missteps that weren't taken, the relationships, the, the bad relationships that were never started, the drugs never used, the deals never made, the illnesses never contacted, all these different things. Sometimes there are difficult things that happen, but we can imagine that in the midst of that, God was refining us and protecting us, and he was with us then, and he is with us now. We praise him for his protection. Look at verse 6 and 7. Blessed be the Lord who has given us, who has, excuse me, (laughs) important, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Now, I've never hunted birds, much less with a snare, but I can imagine what that looks like. You've got a trap set. You're probably off in the bushes watching and waiting for that little bird to happen upon the the trap, and at the moment when that snare is tripped is the moment of decision, and oftentimes that bird is, boom, caught, whether it's a noose or some sort of a cage or whatever that snare is designed to do. But here, the illustration is that this little bird, this hapless, helpless bird, escapes miraculously from the snare. And that is the illustration, the picture that we are given of how God has so often delivered us from the snares and the traps and the things that would harm us, and sometimes maybe even unaware. You know, I think about this. I often think, you know what, I think sometimes as I think about things that I've gotten out of, holes that I've dug myself out of, (laughs) things that I've corrected, things that I've avoided. Oftentimes, you hear the pronoun I'm using, I, I, I. Even here they said, we have escaped. But notice the focus is not on them, it's on God. And sometimes I don't picture myself as this little helpless bird. I picture myself more like Roadrunner. Okay, yeah, I knew you guys are too young. Okay. Kevin said, go ahead and use it, Rick. I'm here. I'm with you. Remember Roadrunner, anybody from the cartoons? Thank you. Amen. Okay, you got me there. Okay. Roadrunner, right? He's always out foxing. Wiley Coyote, right? Everything Wiley Coyote throws at him, whether it's a missile or a, or a bomb or whatever, he turns it around and he escapes and he's just a brilliant bird. <laughs> My wife reminded me on the way in today, we're more like, you know, Tweety Bird. <laughs> I thought I thought a putty tat, right? This is this silly little bird that's just, just kind of going through life really helpless. And that's really who we are. And it's God who is the hero of our stories. You know, when I think of that, I think back to a few weeks ago when we were in, I think it was Psalm 145. Psalm 145. And Patrick was given the message that day. And I was actually really impacted by verse four when it said this. I think I have it. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. One generation shall declare or shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. When we come together, we have to declare that they're God's acts, that it's him that is saving. He is the hero. And that day, I think I was going through some things with some of my children, and even as I looked at the news and and saw some of the things happening in our culture, in our world, and it just struck me. And I can't speak for my whole generation, but maybe I can. We've done a poor job of this. You know, I think of my own children, and I tell them my stories and different things that have gone on in my life and our life. I wonder oftentimes, have I just assumed that they get it? 
Have I just assumed that they know that God is the hero, that God is the source, that it's up to him and him alone, and I put all my confidence and faith in him? Or do they come away thinking, wow, my dad's clever. My dad's resourceful. (laughs) I think I've been guilty of that. Maybe you have as well. To your friends, to your colleagues, to your children, if you're old enough to have children, We need to come together and ponder his favor, and then we need to praise him because it's he who has delivered us, and he alone. He is the hero of the story. Lastly, lastly, as we do these two things, we together put our collective trust in God. Look at verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. You know, you'll see it in these verses here. The very first word, we can go back and look at the whole passage, but notice the first word here is our. It's the first person plural. There's no my, there's no I, there's no me in this. It's us, it's our, it's that collective community it's the, it's the people of God collectively putting our trust in God and him alone. We do this together. We do this first as individuals, and we do it collectively. We encourage each other along these lines. I would encourage you, like I said before, that if you're not in a life group, if you don't have that, maybe that natural group of, of Christians where you can get together and you can encourage and, and depend on each other and maybe even invite others in who don't share the same world and life view, who don't share that faith, but they can come and they can learn and they can grow and they can be impacted. Do this together. Let them see your trust in God. Let them hear it. Let them watch it. Let them experience it. Invite them alongside you in the journey as you reach out, as you stretch yourself, as you take risks, and let them know that you're doing so not for your own glory or for your own benefit or for your own kudos or in any way trying to earn favor with God, but solely based on your faith in him and your love for him and your thankfulness for what he's done in your life. That is what we are invited into. That is what we need to be as a church. That is what this world is waiting and watching and thirsting for. Men and women, we have the answer for the ills of this society. No politician, no business, none of it. No individual, but only the church of God. It is God's plan A. And guess what? There is no plan B. It's his only plan for this world, and it is up to us to live it out in community. So we place our trust in him. And who who is the him? Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Did you catch that? We don't just miss, we don't just worship a God. We worship the creator of everything. You think about every fear, every anxiety, whatever they might be. There is nothing outside of heaven and earth. Every fear, every anxiety, every sense of doom is within that. God controls it. He made it dynamically. He made it. He's involved in it. He doesn't just sit back and now watch it play out. But he is active. He is alive. He is moving. He is in our midst, as we talked about earlier. He is here today using his word in the lips of a very imperfect person 
to, to, to communicate truth that has the opportunity to change the trajectory of our very lives. This is the God who we worship, the creator God who made heaven and earth. You know, we think about it, again, on our way in today, we were talking, and Lana said, did you see the Facebook post? I said, which one? <laughs> Someone posted an article from WDIV that if it's not the pandemic, if it's not all the tension in our country, if it's not the political chaos that we're in, if it's not murder hornets, guess what's coming? An asteroid. Yes, praise be. <laughs> There's an asteroid hurling itself towards our planet, apparently, due in sometime in November. So don't worry about that just yet. We've got enough to keep us busy. But I'm like, are you kidding me? Really? An asteroid? Okay. Okay. Why not, right? 2020. But think about that. Even an asteroid <laughs> fits within heavens and earth, right? God's got the asteroid, whatever it is. I mean, it's craziness, but that's so true. That is the God we worship, and no wonder why we worship him. But there's an alternative. In Psalm 115, just a few pages over, we have a very clear depiction of what that alternative looked like. It says here, why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. The idol, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. What are you doing worshiping them? Well, Notice what it says. It says, those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. The issue is this. If we do not worship the creator God, guess what? We're going to worship something. And we are going to become like that something. And so we become depressed. We become temporal, limited. We become inanimate. We become impersonal. We become distant. We become stubborn. We become unable to hear. We become unable to see what's going on. We have no words to guide, no answers to give. We wonder why we struggle. It's because of that word idolatry. We are worshiping the wrong God. And we must gather together and say, stop it. Time out. Don't worship that God. It leads to this. Worship the creator God who loves you, who's always been there for you. You know, when I look around this room, what's holding this roof up? You look at it? You, you at home, you might not be able to see that. It's a series of arches, isn't it? I love arches. What is the secret to an arch? Anybody, any architects? It's that keystone. It's that center stone. As they build that arch, they come to that minute, there's a, there's a moment of real desperate fear because this thing could collapse, but as soon as that keystone is put into place, that arch can support incredible amounts of force. Jesus, the Son of God, is the keystone. How do we know that God is for us, that he's with us? Because Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus came. He completed the temple. As these people would march up those stairs to the temple singing this very song, they did not quite realize it yet, but all that was taking place, all those sacrifices, all those animals, all that shed blood would point to the ultimate 
keystone, the Son of God, Jesus, who would come to rescue us, to show us for once and all that you're okay. I'm with you. Today, we ask ourselves, who are we worshiping? Who are we trusting? If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your only, only Savior, would you do so today? And then let's remind each other, hey, he's got this. He's got us. I'll show you one last picture, and then we're going to close in prayer. Remember that little white house? It was after the storms finished and after the floodwaters receded that it became apparent as to why that house stood alone. It wasn't the construction of the house. It was because it was built upon a massive rock. Jesus is our rock. He is our fortress. He's the one we run to. He's the one we depend on. It's whom we place our trust. Individually, as a couple, as a family, as a community. And God gets all the glory for what he's done. We worship him today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is timeless, that is endless, and that although we live in a crazy world of 2020, there's been many crazier times. There's been times when your people have been besieged by warring armies and dealing with famine and, and pestilence and, and being uprooted and taken off into slavery, Father. There are times when children were buried and old people went hungry. And, oh, Father, we don't understand why these things come into our lives. And they've always been here. But, God, we do know one thing, that you are for us. You are with us. You go before us and you've shown us that you love us. Thank you for your word. May we not neglect the assembling of ourselves together so we can learn from each other, grow strength from each other, and depend ultimately and solely upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.